I love this series, and I have been so excited uh, to be a part of teaching this today. Cole is uh, teaching in uh, at the church in Malvern, and I get the privilege uh, to be here with you this morning. And, you know, we all have, most of us have regrets of inaction in our lives, right? We have those, those moments that we regret when we didn't do something that we wish we had done, or we didn't say something that we wish we had said, or maybe we didn't go somewhere that later we wish we had gone. And often, many times in those moments where we don't do something that we wish we had any of those regrets of inaction, sometimes it's because whatever that was, it was going to be too hard or perhaps too scary, or maybe it was just too involved, right? And we have to ask ourselves this question too, because sometimes this is a problem. We say to ourselves, well, if I do that, what if I fail? Or what if I'm not smart enough? Or, or, or what if um, I'm not athletic enough or attractive enough? There are so many what ifs. And we say, what if? And then and at the end of the day, we end up not doing whatever that was. You see, when things get un- uncomfortable, so often we have a tendency to kind of just give up and maybe walk away. We can tell ourselves the entire time, well, I, I guess for us that maybe this was just not meant to be, right? It was not meant to be, and we simply move on. Uh, But I want to say this, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's really not that simple. (laughs) I guess never really is it that simple, but here's why. If someone has made the decision to place their faith in the grace that is offered by Christ's death and resurrection— I have done that. If you have done that, well, we have a purpose and we have a calling. And it's more than just us as a follower of Jesus trying to run away from sin. It's more than that. It's more than us just waiting on that one day when eternity begins. It's more than that. You see, you and I are created to chase after a God-given purpose. So let's consider the words of Jesus that were recorded by John, one of his closest followers. Here's what John said as he uh, quoted Jesus. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, in other words, anyone who is my follower, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to go to be with the Father. And what he was talking about, Jesus was talking about, it actually happened. In spite of the most severe persecution, in in spite of horrible torture, and in spite of their own deaths even, these early followers of the way of Jesus, they did amazing things. They conquered uh, incredible giants. They took on Rome. They changed the world. And in order to do that, it took grit. They had to have true grit. They had to hold on and not give up. And here's how we have kind of described what true grit is. It's doing the best you can with what you have where you are. That's what true grit is. Sometimes we win against our giants, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we lose. But it's not about whether we win or lose because the outcome really doesn't matter. 
Because when God says, I want you to go fight that giant, I want you to go chase after that purpose, it is our true grit to hold on and to not give up. That holding on and not giving up, that brings God glory, regardless of the outcome. And that's where we ended things with week number one. And we said this, week one, true grit, no matter the outcome, win or lose, keep holding on because God is with you. And the amazing thing about God being with you is this. God is not bound by time as we see time and by space as we experience space. You see, God is everywhere all the time, all at the same time. And here's what I mean by that. God is right now in your present, and at the very same moment, God is in your past, and at the very same moment, God is already in your future. We can't comprehend that. It's hard to wrap our head, our minds around that, right? It is for me, because it's hard to understand an infinite God with a finite brain. Now, in week number two, we added to this series by saying this, true grit. Hold on because there's a bigger story on the other side. Here's what we meant by that. There's a bigger story on the other side of your fear, my fear. There's a a bigger story on the other side of pain, on the other side of suffering, on the other side of discouragement. Now, the outcome may not be what we want, but hold on because God is weaving, creating, building a bigger story on the other side. Think about this. If you were to take an inventory right now of your life to this point, whatever's happened up to this point, doesn't it seem like for most of us, our greatest experiences are often our most scary experience and the scariest are often the greatest, right? It seems to happen that way. That was week number two. Now, last week in week number three, we said this, true grit, hold on when you don't know what to do. Hold on. And here's how we said to hold on, hold on through worship. So we said this, as God is walking with you through tough things, difficult things, God is in the process of building your resume. Those tough things are building your resume. So with that in mind, we're saying, listen, hold on when things around you might be bad, so bad that you don't know what next step to take. Hold on in that moment when you don't know what to do. Hold on in that moment when you think this may not be the smart thing to do. Hold on. And you know what? I know it's those hardest moments to hold on when we're not sure what to do and things are so difficult. But at that moment, when you don't know what to do next, we said, try this. Try moving your focus from the circumstance or from that difficult person. Try moving your focus from that, away from that, onto worshiping God, our creator in that moment. It helps us refocus. It helps us understand from a different perspective, whatever circumstance we're in in that moment. And we said, think about this. Maybe instead of asking God to take us out of that circumstance, maybe we should instead ask a different question. 
what is it, God, that you want me to get out of this circumstance? That's a very different perspective. And worship always helps us to gain a better perspective of our circumstances. It helps us gain a perspective that is closer to God's perspective. And we said this last week, don't let what is wrong with our circumstance keep us from worshiping what is right with God. See, as it turns out, when we read through the new covenant, following Jesus, we discover is tough. And often following Jesus feels unsafe, maybe even irrational at times. But we have discovered this through this series. Following Jesus was never meant to be safe and civilized. I know that's easy for us to say. It is so much harder to accept and to live out. We can know in our head and, be, and, and know in our heart that God is with us. We can be aware of that. And we can know that God is busy weaving a bigger story in our lives. But there's still something about a tough time. There's something about pain and suffering that isolates uh, us in our thinking, right? What it has a tendency to do is uh, to separate us, that pain and that suffering and that those questions separate us from other people. Pain and tough times can make us feel terribly alone. And you know what? It's not just that we're alone. It's that feeling that nobody understands what I'm going through because we think they haven't gone through what I'm going through. We've all been there, right? That feeling of they, they are not me. They haven't walked in my shoes. They don't understand what I'm struggling with. And all of those thoughts that we have can lead me to a very isolated place. If you're anything like me, a very lonely, a very dark place in my mind. And it's a place that if I stay there, I easily can want to give up and let go and walk away from a person or a problem. I can be ready to quit. If the evil one can convince me that I am alone and that nobody understands my struggle, I can be easily convinced to give up, to walk away, to quit, to not have true grit. And I'll be honest with you, it sure did not take long for the first followers of Jesus to begin to experience circumstances like that. Circumstances where, honestly, I probably would have given up, especially if I were trapped under the rule of a ruthless, crazy emperor like the man named Nero. Nero, infamous, terrible, insane Nero. Nero actually became emperor of Rome when he was 17 years old. And when I say emperor of Rome, that also means at 17, he was governing most of the known world. Wow, 17 years old. He only remained emperor for 13 years, and then he committed suicide. 13 years. Only 13 years in the public eye. And yet, yet, he is the most notorious Roman emperor that comes to our minds when we think of evil Roman emperors. Well, it's a pretty good reason why he comes to our minds because he is, Nero, very famous for being very evil. 
over the course of that short reign, that 13-year reign, he became a murdering tyrant. He murdered his brother. He murdered, in that short 13 years, he murdered also his wife. He even murdered his own mother, Nero. And all of that to accomplish his selfish, evil plans. Now, in the year 64 AD, there was a great fire that burned through Rome. It burned for 10 days. And by the end of that fire, half of Rome was either devastated or demolished the buildings and structures, half of Rome. Now, here's what it was believed. It was believed that, and probably with some validity, that the great fire in Rome was instigated by Nero. Many people believed that, and they believed it then. His goal was to clear those buildings and um, those houses away so he could have a, a place to build his own pet project that he wanted, and it was going to take a lot of space. So, you know, a lot of people thought that. Nero had been emperor by this time for about 10 years, and he had slowly been descending into madness since he ascended to the throne. And the fire that happened only kind of sped up this madness, making it much worse. So much of what we know about this evil man, Nero, uh, and actually several other emperors for that matter, it's because of the writings of a man named Tacitus. He was a Roman historian and a politician, and he preserved a history, a written record of many of these uh, emperors. Nero was one of them. Interestingly enough, this historian, Tacitus, he's the first extra-biblical account record that we have of the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Interesting. Anyway, so Tacitus tells us that uh, with some of these residents in Rome in an uproar, because they think that, uh, that Nero kind of instigated that, uh, Christians became, Tacitus tells us, the Christians in Rome became a very convenient target for Nero to get the heat off of him, no pun intended, about this fire. So he uses these early followers of Jesus in Rome as scapegoats, and he blames them for the fires in Rome. And as a result, it got really bad. And a quick aside here, this was all happening about 30 years after Jesus died and rose again, 30 years after. And now the Christ-following numbers had grown so much in that 30 years that the emperor of the world, basically, Nero, knew who the Christians were. Wow, in just 30 years, it had grown that much. As a result, now Nero had many of these Christians arrested. And here's what happened. Crazy Nero, this is what he did. For his entertainment and the entertainment of other Romans, Many of these Christians were fed alive to wild animals in the arena. Many of them were crucified. Many of them Nero would have put on stakes alive, and he would burn them for light as a lantern to light his garden parties. Wow. The lucky ones, they were just beheaded. 
Now, the Apostle Paul was one of these who got caught up in this evil persecution from the evil Nero. It was actually Paul's third arrest, but it would turn out to be his last. And Paul knew he was at the end of his life, that there would be no release from prison this time, only death. It's pretty clear from what we read in Paul's last letter, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. He was writing this letter during this final imprisonment. Specifically, Paul is writing to a young man that he had been mentoring in person, and now he was mentoring from a distance via letters. Specifically, Paul is writing to this young pastor, and his name is Timothy. And here's what uh, one portion of what he has to say to Timothy. Uh, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 5, Paul writes this to Timothy. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation, he says. In other words, Timothy, in every situation, keep holding on when things are tough. True grit demands that you hold on, Timothy. He goes on. He says, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Don't be afraid, he's saying, because God is in the process of building your resume. Don't be afraid of what he's adding or being allowed to add, be added to your resume, Timothy. Don't be afraid. And see, Paul is speaking from experience here. He's speaking from a position of knowledge. Paul knew about suffering. Even as Paul was placing pen to ink onto parchment for the letter that he was writing, Paul was in the midst of suffering that very moment. He was not in ideal home arrest circumstances. He was being held in Mamertine prison. It's also known as Tullianum. In Paul's day, they called it Tullianum, and it could have been called the House of Darkness. It was likely the prison where Paul was and also the prison where Peter was before their executions. This prison uh, uh, excavation has discovered the prison had two chambers. The first chamber was on ground level, street level, and that chamber was for torturing. Then there was a small hole in the middle of the room of that first chamber that was used for torturing, and that hole went down to a second chamber. There was only one way to get to the second chamber. It was through that hole. They would either drop you in or lower you in. But in that second chamber, that's likely where Paul was. That second chamber was only accessed through that hole. And that's where Paul probably was for his final days. And that's where Paul probably was as he was writing this letter to Timothy. There were few prisons as dim and dank and dirty and dark as this, this one was, especially this lower chamber of the Tullianum prison where Paul was. According to the Roman historian Sallust, the Tullianum's dungeons, here's what he wrote about that. He said, he said there was neglect and darkness and stench of that lower chamber that gave it a hideous and terrifying appearance. Now, here's one of the problems with that chamber, that lower chamber. It sat beside and on top of the Roman sewage system, which would frequently overflow into that lower chamber, and the prisoners would be knee-deep in sewage. And you might think, well, why does all of this matter, Harley? 
Well, I want you to know it because it provides us with context for the condition that Paul finds himself in as he's writing this final letter to Timothy, this young man he's mentoring. Paul continues. He says, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. And boy, obviously did Paul know about suffering. He is suffering at the moment he's writing this. He said, here's what he tells Timothy. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. And Paul is, is just urging this young student of his. Timothy, he's saying, hold on. Timothy, don't let go. Don't give up when things get tough. Timothy, don't walk away. Timothy, listen, this is not going to be easy. This hasn't been easy for me. It's not going to be easy for you, but there is purpose for your calling. And here it is. He says, keep telling others the good news. Keep spreading the gospel. Keep carrying out the ministry that God has given you. Whether, Timothy, you feel like a success or a failure, it doesn't matter, Timothy. Just keep working. Regardless of the circumstances, show true grit no matter what. It's as if he's saying, yes, Timothy, show true grit. Harley, show true grit, no matter the circumstances. Cole, show true grit. Stuttgart Harvest Church, show true grit. Where Cole is today in Malvern, the church in Malvern, show true grit. And Paul's very life and decisions were an example of that. Paul continues, verse six. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. You see, Paul knew. He knew that no one left this prison alive. This prison was only a holding pen for political prisoners like Paul. And it was political prisoners who were going to be for sure executed. But even so, Paul didn't quit. He had, this, he had to finish this letter. He had to get this last encouragement out before he died. And so Paul writes on. He says, the time of my death is near. And Paul was right. According to the uh, historian, the Roman historian Eusebius, Eusebius told us that Nero uh, beheaded Paul and had Peter crucified. Now, probably the reason why Paul got the speedy death, uh, this, and it was a private beheading was because Paul was a Roman citizen. The reason that uh, Peter's death was public and it was full of torture, well, it was because uh, he was simply a Galilean from a remote outpost of the empire. Paul continues, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. In other words, Paul said he didn't just write about true grit. Paul had true grit. Paul lived it. He proved it. He said, I remain faithful. I hung on. Paul never stopped chasing after his God-given purpose. Even in prison, knowing that his life was about to end. Because of that purpose, his life was about to end. And here's what he wrote now in verse 8. He says, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, he says, but for all who, who eagerly look forward to his appearance. Paul says, this is not just for me. 
said this true grit hanging on it's for all everyone submitting to and following Jesus keep these evil circumstances in perspective but keep following keep looking forward to keep seeing Jesus no matter the circumstance no matter how evil is trying to crush you Paul is saying hold on he says, hold on and fight the good fight. He says, hold on and finish that race. Hold on, true grit, remain faithful. And we might ask ourselves, Paul, how? How can you, awaiting your execution in these worst of circumstances, awaiting your execution knee-deep in sewage, how can you honestly write this, Paul? How can you do that? As I think about it, maybe, maybe it's because Paul, maybe it's because he knew that God sees us. Think about that for a moment. God sees us. He sees you right now. God sees us. Think about that. He sees you and he sees me. The writer of Hebrews tells us nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. So maybe he could write that because he knows that God saw him where he was and he sees you. Maybe he could write that because he knows that God hears us. He hears us. Think about that. He hears you and he hears me. The psalmist said it like this. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. God knows every prayer that is uttered. He hears the cries of our hearts. Maybe that's why Paul could write this. It might have been one of those two things, but I, I want to tell you this. Most of all, the thing that maybe perhaps impacted Paul's ability to show true grit the most may be this. We can hold on because God knows what we're going through from his own experience. Let that settle in for just a moment. God knows because God has been there and some way, somehow God has been through it. I love this. The writer of Hebrews describes this for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, and he tells us who that high priest is, Jesus, the Son of God. So he said, because of this, let us hold firmly to what we believe. In other words, that holding on firmly, the writer of Hebrews says, that is true grit. And we can hold on firmly regardless of our circumstances, no matter what is going on, no matter who is making it difficult for us, we can hold on because Jesus knows what we are going through. Here's how he words this now, verse 15. This high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. See, when Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him, Jesus knew that very soon he was going to be picking up his own cross, a very real cross, and he was going to carry that. And because of that, the writer then says this in verse 16, so let us, become, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And make no mistake, this God that he is speaking of is Jesus. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And he says we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. 
A God who, by the way, is alive again. A God who, even though he was killed, murdered on a cross that the Romans placed him on, and he was tortured and killed this God for that reason, more than any other reason, this God who is now alive again after he died, Paul could tell Timothy, even while he was sitting in a hole in the ground, knee-deep in sewage, awaiting his death, his execution, he could say, Timothy, hold on. Because Paul could say, Timothy, Jesus is alive. And he says, I know Jesus is alive because Paul can say, I saw him. I took one look at Jesus and I would, the resurrected Jesus. And he said, I was blind for days and he is alive. And at this very moment, he is on the throne right now in heaven. And, and Timothy, because of that, you can hold on. According to the writer of Hebrews, that throne is a place where, where this happens. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Wow. When life is tough. There's where we'll find the grace when life is unfair and it will be unfair. When it's difficult and it will be difficult. When the evil one is pressing down upon us and he will press down upon you. There from the throne of the living Christ, we will receive mercy and grace that we need. And it comes directly from him. The one who understands our pain, who lived through the same pain we do. We can hold on because Jesus knows from his own experience what we are going through. In the old covenant, before Jesus was born and here on earth, at that time he was with the Father in heaven. Here we go. In the old covenant, Jesus was called ahead of time, called the man of sorrows for a good reason. Consider how much suffering that Jesus endured. The first part of his suffering was literally leaving the perfection of heaven. And he entered this world into the human race as a man that was suffering. And then he suffered all the things that humanity suffers, all the things you suffer and I suffer. He suffered. And finally, Jesus suffered the wrath of God as the sin bearer. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the entire world. Such suffering must have been all the more painful. You know why? Because Jesus was perfect and sinless because Jesus was God. You see, we carry the weight of our own sin and any sin that someone else thrust upon us of theirs. We carry that every single day and we think nothing of it because that's all we know, really. All we know is sin. Jesus never experienced the weight of sin until the moment he got it all. 
And he got all the weight of every single individual sin. Whoever had lived and whoever would live, Jesus got all that sin all at once. And I don't believe we will ever understand the depth of what his righteous spirit suffered as he lived here on this earth among the fallen, among the selfish, among sinful humanity, people like me. And as he bore my sin on the cross, even though I had not been born yet, he bore my sin on the cross and he bore yours. What can wash away my sin? What can it be? I'll tell you what it is. Only a perfect, ultimate, once and for all sacrifice. You see, John the Baptist, upon, as Jesus started his ministry here on earth, his cousin, John the Baptizer, he looked at Jesus and he told everyone there, he said, here is the Lamb of God, speaking of Jesus, who takes away, meaning picks up and carries off the sin of the entire world. You see, a real lamb cannot die in a human's place. But a perfect lamb could. A perfect human lamb could. And if that human lamb is God, then he could die for the sins of the entire world. You see, Jesus, who came to save me, and he came to save you through his death, Jesus, who would be tortured for us as a payment for the sins of the whole world, a sin debt that was large, that would require a huge sacrifice. You know, interestingly, 500 years before Jesus would be born upon this earth, 500 years before that, 500 years before he would pay that sin debt for the world, God had a, a prophet named Isaiah, and he told him what to write down, and it described in detail what Jesus would, 500 years later, come here to do. You see, God described for us in detail what this sin sacrifice was going to look like. And history tells us that it all happened just as Isaiah described it 500 years earlier. So I want to read for you what Isaiah wrote, what God told him to write down, describing 500 years before it happened, what it would look like. And this is what it looked like. God said his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. Here's what that means. And that happened. That happened like that. Here, here's what that means. Jesus was publicly beaten and tortured beyond recognition just before they walked him outside the city walls and they nailed him to that cross. That happened. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 3, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some, someone people turned away from. He was despised. We didn't value him. And yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. 
but we regarded him as stricken, struck down by God, afflicted. Verse 5, but he, Jesus, he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. But we all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment. And, and who considered his fate? Hmm? No, 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 no. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Verse 9, they made his grave in the wicked, with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a restitution offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. He will see it out of his anguish. And he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion. And he will receive the mighty spoil. Because he submitted himself to death, he was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. Do you understand that what God allowed to happen to himself is how seriously God takes our rebellion and our crookedness? We, ta we pass off our shortcomings, the things we do. We just say, oh, it's a, it's a shortcoming. We explain away our mistakes, but God will have none of it. We develop a moral code for us that allows us to live however we want to live, to do whatever we want to do, regardless of what God wants. But these are not mere shortcomings. These are not just simple mistakes. Those are the things of death and corruption. And unless we can find someone to stand in our place, those shortcomings that we call them, those mistakes that we call them, they will separate us forever from our creator in eternity. But this is the gospel. This is the good news that Paul implored Timothy to keep on sharing. The good news is this, someone has been found to stand in my place and to stand in your place. Someone has taken upon himself the results of all of our rebellion. And in return, we have not been cast out. In return, we have been handed the keys to God's kingdom. 
My friends, Jesus had true grit. He held on for us. Jesus is not merely participating in our suffering. He is taking it upon himself and he carries it away so that we don't labor eternally under the effects of our sin any longer. He picked it up and he carried it away. And now, in turn, we can have true grit. We can hold on and not give up and hold on and not lose faith like Paul did and like Paul implored Timothy to do. We can hold on, my friends, because Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and what I'm going through. He sees you, my friend. He sees you right now. He hears you in this moment. And our Jesus knows what you're going through. We began this morning by saying, as a follower of Jesus, we really don't have much choice about all of this. But it's likely this morning that not every single person here is yet a follower of Jesus. And I want you to know, you are welcome here among us. Continue to explore. But I would be remiss if I did not say this to you specifically. Maybe today is the day that you are ready to say yes to Jesus. So I ask this question. Will you submit your life to Jesus right now? At this very moment, you can do it right now at this very moment. If in your heart you will say this, Jesus, you can have my life. I'm giving it to you. You can say in your heart right now, Jesus, do with my life what you will. I'm following you. Jesus. You are now the boss. Jesus, I'm handing you the keys of my life, and I'm giving them to you today. And I'm now going to be following you because you paid my sin debt on the cross. You stood in my place. Oh, I hope that you've said that to Jesus right now. And I want you to know this, if you did, the Bible tells us that Jesus hears you. He sees you. And he's answering you. Oh, my friends, the Bible tells us that when one person repents, that means turns around. That means saying, I was going the wrong way, my way, and I'm going to turn around now, God, and walk your way. Follow you, chase after you. When one person repents, turns around, and begins to follow Jesus, the angels in heaven celebrate and throw a party because of that. And if you did that right now, that's what's happening in heaven. And now I, I want you to know, that's the first step. And now every single one of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, here's the step for all of us. We're asking you to now have true grit and hold on. And we can do that because Jesus knows what we're going through. No matter the circumstance that you're facing, I'm saying this, hold on. No matter what you may be suffering right now, hold on. On. No matter what pain you may be experiencing physically or in relationships in, on this earth, I'm saying this, hold on. Not because I said so, not because Paul said so, but because Jesus did it. You can hold on. 
Now, if you submitted your life to Jesus this morning, I, I want you to please let us know on your connection card, either on the one that you have open on your phone. Let us know you're making Christ the boss of your life today. Will you let us know that? Please let us know. If you're using the paper version, please let us know. Not because we're going to, I just, I want to make sure you get the next information to encourage you as you follow Jesus. Please let us know. Now, all that's left to do, two things. I'm going to pray for us as we talk to Jesus right now together, and then we are going to sing to Jesus. And I hope you'll join us in both. Let's pray right now. Father, we all have gone astray and chosen our own path like sheep. We have turned away from you at some point and turned to our own way, our own path. But you, God, you, our Lord, you punished Jesus for our iniquity and for the iniquity of the entire world. God, you yourself were pierced because of our transgressions. You were crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment is what you got in order to give us peace. That was on you, Jesus. And Jesus, we are healed because of our transgressions. We get to be healed, Jesus, because of all of your wounds that you received in our place. And Jesus, may we right now in this moment, may we submit to you. May we see this through with true grit to hold on and not give up. And Jesus, we can do that because you know what we were going through. You know what we have gone through, what we're going through right now. And Jesus, you know what's coming, what we're going to go through next. Because you've gone through it. Jesus, help us to hold on. And in, in your name, we ask these things. Amen.